Triathlon Show 407. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Brendan Egan who is Associate Professor at Dublin City University and our topic for today is exogenous ketones. But before we get into that topic and the interview with Brendan, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, uh, that help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and carbohydrate products. And with free online tools, education, and a patented sweat test, you can use the free Fuel and Hydration Planner on their website to get a personalized plan for carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid intake. And you can also book a free 20-minute video consultation to chat through your plan with their athlete support team. I have used their entire range of products for a long time and uh, I love them. They are brilliant and uh, you can get 15% off your first order to try them out by using the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Form. The Form Smart Swim Goggles give you real-time feedback in your swim training right on the goggle lens, including splits, pace, stroke rate and heart rate. Form have recently launched a big and important update, which is an integration with Training Peaks, so that workouts written in Training Peaks can automatically sync to the Form app and the goggles. Uh, and it's important here to... Uh, say that it's even if the workouts are just written in normal written form so you don't have to actually build the workouts in the workout builder and training peaks which makes your life and any coach's life super easy you can just load the workout on your goggles and then you'll be guided through it step by step you can get 15% off the goggles with the code tts15 on formswim.com forward slash tts now without any further ado here's the interview with brandon egan Welcome to the Triathlon Show, Brendan. How are you doing? I'm good, Michael. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, can we start with a bit more of an introduction? Uh, who are you? What's your background in academia and uh, in in sports in general? Yeah, okay. Um, I tend to uh, divide into three hats, really. Uh, my um, academic profession, I'm a lecturer here, associate professor uh, in Dublin City University here in Ireland. And uh, my um, area of research is around... Um, nutritional metabolism and uh, interest in performance, exercise physiology, uh, and so on. I tend to be, uh, if I'm known for anything, it's around uh, this ketone work that I'm sure we're going to talk about. And I've done quite a bit of work over the years in, I would say, molecular exercise science is probably the best way to describe it. And also some work around um, exercise and nutrition interventions in, in older adults. Um, so that's the uh, that's the academic side. I came to this uh, area to into academia through initially uh, being an undergrad um, in sport and exercise science, and then I did a master's in sports nutrition. So this is prior to my PhD and so on. And so the second hat that I wear is is a performance nutritionist. So for many years, uh, you know, must be close to twenty years, I've worked um, with different um, athletes, mostly I would say though in team sport, and I'll come back to that in a second uh, i've done a little bit of work on endurance athletes i i was with the irish um, para triathlon team for a couple of years as their nutritionist and uh, my uh, work at the moment is with the mostly with the irish uh, national soccer team uh, football team uh, depending on what country you're from um and then the um yeah the third hat is my own uh, sporting background I, I played um a game we have here in ireland called gaelic football which is our, our national sport so what I tell people is that I, I played a very uh, little-known game at as high a level as I could. So what kind of athlete that qualifies me as, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I played it at a pretty decent level for uh, for a good part of my 
um, 20s and 30s. And uh, so a lot of what I um, talk about in the context of nutrition or a lot of what I practice um, tends to have been uh, put through my own trials and tribulations as well. So hopefully that brings a kind of a rounded perspective in terms of both the academic side of things and also the, the practical and, um, you know, uh, putting it all into practice. Yeah, very good. A very, very nice summary. Um, so yeah, we are definitely going to uh, go into the whole ketone field. <laughs> it's been, um, in, I would say in the last couple of years, maybe it's been becoming more and more prevalent mm. in at least in endurance sports i i must say i'm not familiar with whether it's used how much it's used in other sports outside of the endurance space but in endurance sports you definitely see it and part of that might be driven by uh sponsorships and marketing but uh there's also been more and more research papers and and you and your colleagues wrote a, a nice review about the research the state of evidence so far so that's what we're going to kind of discuss today but uh, yeah let's start with maybe if you give us an introduction to what is really the physiology of, of ketones in the body in the first place, and then how does exogenous ketones uh, come into play? Yeah, okay, let's uh, let, let's do that. I, I'll just I uh, will pick up on one point that you mentioned there, which is the way I've perceived this to be the case as well over the last number of years. That um, really, it's endurance sports that are driving the interest in in ketones, and I wonder if it's partly to do with the fact that that's where the majority of the research has been been done to date, or like you say, the majority of the uh, sponsorship appears to be in domains where um, um, endurance athletes may be, you know, listening to podcasts and reading um, blogs and so on. And uh, obviously I think the early stories and kind of, 2017, 18, 19, the, um, any of the hype, I suppose, at that time was really in professional cycling. And maybe that's the legacy that, that is uh, influencing what's going on at the moment. But you, your point is well made. You know, for the first couple of years, it was maybe a paper or two a year that were coming out. And I think in the last two to three years, there's been an enormous increase in, in the number of papers. And as you say, our review was really uh, uh, published late last year, is really summarizing the state of, of the field at the moment. But and I think we'll probably talk about this towards the end, I guess. But even since we published that review, there's been some really interesting work that has come out, and we'll, we'll probably touch on that, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but to uh, begin, uh, where to begin? So when we're talking about uh, ketone bodies, it's probably let's start with what they are first and maybe work backwards from there in terms of how they're produced. So uh, the ketone bodies we're referring to in um, in all of our discussions here are one called acetoacetate, another called beta-hydroxybutyrate, and another called acetone. And these are produced uh, through a, um, a process known as ketogenesis. And it's why when people hear the word ketogenic diet, um, what it's referring to is a really low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet that's driving this process of ketogenesis and therefore producing uh, larger concentrations of ketone bodies within the bloodstream. So ketogenesis is a process that's always uh, active, uh, primarily in the, um, or almost exclusively, I should say, in, in the liver. And there are certain um, um, dietary um, manipulations that can be brought about to increase ketogenesis. And I'll come back to those in, in a second. But in the context of these uh, ketone bodies, um, beta-hydroxybutyrate is the, and I'll refer to that mostly as BHB, I think throughout our um, conversation, but uh, BHB is the is the ketone body that increases the most uh, within the circulation, and therefore it's the one um, that people tend to focus on when we're talking about ketone bodies in circulation, and that's I suppose really what we're getting at when we're talking about ketone supplements. It's these a uh, 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 broad um, category of of supplements, again, which I'll probably go through each one of them in, in, in shortly, but 
the primary aim of each one of these uh, supplements is to increase this uh, the concentration of this ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate or BHB. And they all can do that with various levels of success, as, as I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. So um, so that's that's what they are, I guess, and as I said, how they're produced is through uh, ketogenesis. And uh, ketogenesis is amplified, um, as I said, in scenarios where there's low glucose availability. Um, so typically the examples we give here are ketogenic diet, um, uh, various manipulations of, of ketogenic diets, I should say, um, also periods of fasting, so particularly if it's a prolonged fast. We know in rodents, for example, after just a few hours, ketone bodies start to be elevated quite quickly. In humans, it's probably an overnight fast or 12, 16, 18 hours before you begin to see elevations in, in the ketone bodies. And other scenarios are um, like starvation, which is many of the classic experiments that were done with um, with ketone metabolism back in the 60s, 70s and 80s were done with either uh, prolonged fasting or starvation type um, interventions. And that's where we get a lot of our knowledge about their their metabolism. Um, so the the um, feature, I suppose, just to make a, a note of because it comes up when we talk about some of the supplements is that ketones can be elevated in the blood if they're just ingested as a ketone body itself. But that's um, not always easy to do because of the taste, because they need to be paired with um, with uh, salts because they're they're uh, they're quite acidic, and there's a variety of reasons why we don't just ingest uh, ketone salts in in isolation. Sorry, ketone bodies in in isolation. Um, whereas the other mechanism, which we'll talk about, is the ketone esters. That's taking advantage of the fact that you can bind um, a ketone body, in this case beta-hydroxybutyrate usually, to uh, a molecule called butanediol. And the reason that's important is because butanediol as a molecule can drive ketogenesis. So things like medium-chain triglycerides, um, so medium-chain fatty acids, um, things like um, there are some ketogenic amino acids, and then molecule like butanediol. These are all molecules that can um, amplify ketogenesis within uh, within the liver as well. So I guess to, to summarize, um, BHB tends to be the molecule of, that we are most interested in when we're talking about ketone supplements and their impact on uh, ketone concentrations with, within the blood. And there are a variety of mechanisms by which ketogenesis can be amplified through dietary manipulation, but also through the provision of certain dietary supplements can also affect these concentrations. Can you clarify uh, the ketone ketone salt uh, that you mentioned there? Uh, in case yeah, ketone ester. I think you you said you yeah. you explained well, but the ketone salt just what what is that? Yeah, so we have um, these ketone bodies existing in their free form. Let's call it that. Would be their their um, you know if they're in the body, they're in their free form as such. Um, but as I said, we can't ingest those in their free form um, because the thinking is generally that they're they're too acidic and they're not palatable and it's very difficult to ingest them. So what manufacturers came up with um, several years ago now, maybe a couple of decades ago, was to um, bind these um, acidic um, um, molecules with um, alkaline salts. So effectively, you're taking your ketone uh, body, uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, and um, binding that with a, a salt such as calcium or magnesium or potassium. And so you get these um, ketone salts that you can buy on the um, on the market at the moment would be usually a mix of uh, the ketone body beta-hydroxybutyrate with a variety of, of different salts. So it to think of it, I suppose, in why they may not be as effective in terms of increasing um, um, blood BHB concentrations is because the fact they're ingesting a relatively large amount of salt at the same time as consuming the ketone body itself. 
So in effect, you're kind of limited by the fact that the gastrointestinal system can't really handle a very high salt ion load. And that's one of the drawbacks that we end up seeing with with ketone salts is that unless you have a very pure form of ketone salt, and again, there's some more details we could get into if it's of interest, but around purity, but if um, if unless you've got a very pure uh, form of, of ketone salt, um, they generally don't achieve very high levels of BHB concentrations uh, compared to something like a ketone ester, for example. And if we're looking at commercially available supplements, will it be clear from the labeling whether we're talking about this is a ketone salt and this is a ketone ester so that, uh, yeah, it's easy for the consumer to to see what it is that they're actually buying? Yeah, um, well, in some respects, the giveaway is the price. Uh, so um, the the ketone salts will generally be labeled as ketone salts. And um, because I guess in, in the, um, and they'll, they'll be relatively cheap compared to the, the other products. And um, one of the, um, I guess, kind of prevailing um, um, pieces of information that's come out over the years is that because there's this idea that we probably need to elevate ketone concentrations above a certain level. Um, so I should have said earlier, ketone concentrations generally in, in, in the blood are around about 0.1 or 0.2 millimolar. And they may rise to maybe 0.3, 0.4, 0.5 in a human after 12 to 16 hours of fasting. But in order, and on a ketogenic diet, they tend to range anywhere from one so 1.0 to 3.0, maybe f- up to four or five millimolar um, in concentration when someone is very strict and on a ketogenic diet for, for quite some time. So these uh, exogenous ketone supplements, um, again, I, I wouldn't say that it has to be above one millimolar as, as a threshold, but that's kind of the way people have been thinking that, you know, if you want to have a metabolic effect um, and it may be something to do with, with performance, that one millimolar or above is is a kind of useful way of thinking about it. But I would be the first to say that we we don't know for sure whether that is a threshold as such. Um, in 2017, we published a, a review, and um, it was the first, I think, review that had been done in many years around ketone metabolism and exercise and training. And we proposed that as there being a kind of a um, a threshold of around one millimolar where it would, uh, and probably not going above three millimolar, it's probably like a sweet spot in between. And um, that eventually over a number of different studies it kind of became apparent that the ketone salts weren't quite achieving that level of of uh, concentration whereas the ketone esters were able to do it quite easily and so over time the message kind of became you know if you're talking about performance if you're talking about having um, um major effects on on metabolism then it probably would be a ketone ester at a certain dose that will be more beneficial than, than say a ketone salt so um so like i said the, the ketone salts um they may have effects on on bhb concentrations but generally it'll be somewhere between 0.5 and, and one millimolar so they don't quite get it um high enough unless they're taking a very high doses at which point you run the risk of having this um gastrointestinal um upset the only thing I'll just say, just to, again, a kind of a development since our last, since we published our last review, is that there have been a couple of um, ketone salts now that are purer. Um, that's for want of a better word, um, and they're able to just get those ketone concentrations slightly higher. But again, they're going to be more expensive. It'll probably be clear on the label that they're a purer form of ketone salts, and it's uh, you know that's the kind of the environment that the consumer has to deal with. Because the the ketone esters have kind of been seen as having this. Uh, uh, supremacy with, within the field anyone who's selling the ketone ester will generally uh sing about it you know they'll tell you fairly loudly that they've got a ketone ester and that's what they're selling but um at the moment there's only a handful of companies that are selling ketone esters and um 
as you probably know, and it's often talked about, they're they're relatively expensive. You know, generally, it's somewhere in the region of thirty dollars um, for a single bottle. And single bottle is more or less a single dose. You know, for the average size individual. And so, you know, if you're thinking about it, the kinds of studies where they're consumed every day, or um, you know, a couple of times a day, as there was in, in in one study, becomes a very expensive product. And again, maybe that's the reason why it's only really in the hands of uh, pro teams at the moment, as opposed to you know the general consumer. Yes, yeah, but uh, so let's get into the the mechanisms a bit and the physiology of it. So, if we use a supplement to get uh, we get above that threshold one millimolar, uh, then what is the what do we know about? Yeah, how does how does that impact physiology uh, both in let's say the resting body or uh, just a sedentary body, but also then in the exercising body? Yeah, so I'd open um, this by saying that. Um, you know, ketone metabolism is something that's been studied for a very long time, and um, it it's really dramatic the effect that ketone bodies can have on metabolism in general. So, if we uh, aren't talking about performance per se, if we're just saying what happens when uh, there's an so again going back to the the seventies uh, and eighties, there was many studies that looked at infusions of of ketone bodies. And, you know, as I said, really dramatic effects on many different organs. And even now, outside of the um, performance domain, there's a quite a bit of interest in ketone bodies and exogenous ketone supplements, for that matter, in areas like heart failure, anti-catabolic effects, anti-inflammatory effects, and so on. So they're, as, as a molecule, um, they really have very dramatic effects. And their metabolism and their mechanisms of action as signaling molecules and so on, that's really fairly well established. Um, what we're going to talk about in, in terms of the performance domain, there can be quite a lot of controversy, but that, that shouldn't, I think, uh, distract from the fact that um, that these are very interesting molecules to study, both scientifically and potentially uh, therapeutically. So when, when, I, uh, when I begin to speak about uh, potential mechanisms here, um, quite a bit of it is, is, let's say, well known as features of ketone bodies and, and what they can do. What's less well known is that they actually do this in skeletal muscle or during exercise, and that that's that's probably where the gaps in the in the knowledge actually are. So, if we think about like the the proposed mechanisms of action um, around why they might be ergogenic, so why they might pro- provide an acute, you know, um, performance benefit uh, in in a you know in a stage race or in a in a in a, a one off bout of exercise or so on, these are. Um, Generally, they come under um, mechanisms that are talking about the effect that ketone bodies would have as, as um, I, I, you often hear the word alternative substrate or additional substrate. And so the idea here is that in addition to the, you know, the muscle, we'll focus on the muscle here, can use free fatty acids, it can use glucose, it can use uh, amino acids to a certain extent, it can use lactate. Um, these are all fuels that the, that the muscle can use. Now again, we primarily in sports nutrition focus on on it, the ability of muscle to use fat and and carbohydrate, and particularly as you well know, in in kind of long duration and high intensity type of activities, we tend to focus on on carbohydrate. But the original thinking and the proposal was that ketone bodies would effectively be oxidized as an energy source, as as an alternative substrate, um, and. Again, depending on the the what, what you read and depending on who you uh, speak to, some people will say that it can be an additional substrate. Some say that it's uh, an alternative or a replacement substrate, and it's not really clear, to be honest, um, wh- how ketone bodies are, are operating in in that domain. But the evidence for it to be used as as a substrate 
the uh, there was a seminal paper that came out in, in 2016 in cell metabolism that was the first study that looked at these exogenous ketone uh, esters in this case and that particular paper it had five different uh, studies let's call it within that one very large paper but it initially reported that ketone bodies could c- c- when taken as a, as an oral supplement could contribute about 18 16 to 18% of energy provision and like this was an enormous amount of of energy coming from ketone bodies and it kind of contradicted research that had been done in the 70s and 80s that generally put that number somewhere between 2 and 10% so again, it was kind of uh, perplexing at the time, but subsequently, um, it, you know, it, it was obvious in a number of different studies that have been done since then from the same group in fairness, and they admit that their early work probably overestimated um, uh, ketone body oxidation. And so now again, these more recent studies have again so, kind of came to the conclusion that even when ketone bodies are relatively high concentration uh, in the blood, having been provided by a, by a ketone ester in, in all cases here, their contribution as a fuel source is probably only about 5%, you know, at the very most 10% of, of, um, of, of energy provision. So the, the question could be, does, would that make a difference? And um, again, we'll probably come to the performance results um, uh, shortly, but um, so that, that's one um, potential mechanism that they're actually being oxidized as, as a substrate and they're contributing to energy provision, albeit to a small amount. However, there's this other idea that because of the way that um, ketone bodies are, are um, utilized, so if you look at things like the amount of ATP that's provided per carbon molecule, for example, or the amount of ATP that's provided per mole of oxygen, Again, this is going into the weeds a little bit, but those uh, those numbers that are associated with those types of of, um, of um, variables associated with substrate use, generally ketone bodies look fairly favorable uh, in those scenarios compared to glucose. So it kind of became this idea that perhaps um, ketone bodies would be a more efficient um, way to provide ATP. I would say that the evidence for that is relatively weak in, in humans be just because it's a very hard thing to study uh, as to whether there's you know a substitution uh, type effect going on or um, an improvement in efficiency. But I'll, I will talk about some of the literature on that in, in a second. And then the, the most prominent initial mechanism that was talked about was actually this idea that carbohydrate would be spared. Um, so what we're talking about there is that there's a reduced reliance on carbohydrate utilization during exercise when ketone bodies have, have been, um, in this case, again, ketone ester has been consumed. And again, there's conflicting evidence there. And it's the message you're going to constantly hear from me is conflicting evidence or it's unclear. But in this case, there was at least, uh, you know, that early study that I mentioned in 2016 seemed to indicate that there was reduced reliance on carbohydrate utilization during exercise. Yet a follow-up study that was done a couple of years later um, by a separate group, they didn't really see any of this uh, reduced reliance on muscle glycogen utilization um, in, in this case. So so they're, they're, the, they're the three mechanisms in, in effect. This idea that they may be an alternative substrate, uh, they may be a more efficient substrate, uh, and possibly they reduce reliance on carbohydrate. And to sum it all up, to be honest, the, the evidence is very mixed around, uh, around a lot of that. I guess number one and number three, their alternative substrate and sparing of glycogen, they kind of also fall into each other a bit, or yeah. they they are kind of very very much related. Um, but it is interesting to hear that, uh, yeah, that um, hypothesis about the efficiency um, because that's something that we we have discussed before on this podcast with Louis Burke, for example, about the supernova study with fat versus carbohydrate and the difference in um, in efficiency in terms of uh, energy ATP production based on fat versus carbohydrates. So to hear that ketones 
that even if it's just at the hypothesis stage, the, yeah. it's, it's interesting to hear. Well, now might be a time just to mention um, just a little bit of work that was done around that. So there is, um, because it does kind of, um, it's, it's, it's a point that comes up quite, quite a lot is that um, people will often say that uh, something was observed in a ketogenic diet study and therefore the equivalent may be true in, a, in an exogenous ketone uh, study. But we actually, because this kept coming up, we wrote a review a few years ago now. Um, it's in current sports medicine reports and it was, um, essentially looking at, you know, the ketogenic diet on one hand and exogenous ketone use on the other. What is overlapping features and what are distinctive features of them? And the point that I make just in an exercise context is that they are actually quite different. Uh, in fact, I often recommend that people just sort of forget about the ketogenic diet in the context of exogenous ketones. Uh, the comment I always make is unfortunately the K-E-T-O they have in common uh, in terms of their name and people sort of assume they're the same thing. But just to give a couple of examples, in, in the case of um, if you have a ketogenic diet, you generally have really high um, um, concentrations of free fatty acids in the blood and a very heavy reliance on fat oxidation as a fuel. On the other hand, if you've consumed an exogenous ketone supplement, that actually suppresses free fatty acid, uh, sorry, it suppresses lipolysis. So free fatty acid concentrations actually drop. And in fact, it probably looks like there's more reliance on, um, or, you know, an absence of change then in terms of the uh, substrate utilization. So that's just one example of where there's very different uh, metabolism between the ketogenic diet and exogenous ketone. Uh, supplementation. So um, to go back to the point about efficiency, um, you know, that's very well described, the um, the effect of um, uh, the ketogenic diet on on reducing uh, or impairing, let's say, efficiency with, with, within exercise. But there was um, a paper again by the Oxford group uh, a couple of years ago that demonstrated that when uh, carbohydrate was compared to to ketones, that there was an actual improvement in cycling efficiency um, in 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 cyclists. It was a relatively small cohort, but over a graded exercise test, they saw an improvement in delta efficiency in those cyclists when ketones were um, ingested compared to uh, to carbohydrate. And that was something that re- that kind of got our. Can you can you explain delta efficiency for the listeners? I, oh, yeah. I think mo- most are probably used to the term gross efficiency, but what is delta efficiency? Yeah, so gross efficiency would just be the um, yeah, it's kind of the amount of uh, oxygen relative to the energy that's that's produced, the amount of oxygen consumed to the relative to the energy um, that's uh, produced. But in the case of um, um, delta efficiency, that's usually done by the difference when you go from one stage to another. Um, so there's like there are changes in efficiency that occur at different percentages of say peak power output, and delta efficiency uses a, um, a, a calculation to determine the change that occurs from one stage to another as you're going through uh, an incremental um, test. So um, the the reason that that's relevant though is because the efficiency uh, question. Um, so essentially, we're talking about less oxygen being utilized to produce the same amount of work. That's that's the uh, way we're talking about um, an improvement in efficiency here, and that actually does tally fairly well with some of the proposed mechanisms of how ketone bodies could alter um, uh, performance or at least substrate utilization or or, or um, energy provision. And it, like I said, that got our attention. And we had observed actually in one of our studies, uh, we had looked at a, a 60 minute, um, preload before we did a 10k run. And there was a trend within that data where the VO2 during that one hour period was just slightly lower in the ketone plus carbohydrate competition, uh, sorry, condition compared to carbohydrate alone. 
And it's one of those quirks uh, that comes up from from time to time when you're sitting looking at your own data is that we we could see this this trend here that kind of fit with 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 that hypothesis. But there were a couple of there was one person who just essentially had identical VO two values in both conditions, and then we had one female participant who had um, the opposite effect. But the other uh, six men that were that were in the study all had lower VO two compared to um, in the ketone plus carbohydrate condition versus. Uh, carbohydrate alone but you can't start picking out pieces of data and saying well if you remove this and you remove that and you know this is the way it would appear so we essentially had to say nothing uh, about that that trend but it did stimulate us then to do another study which was and within mind this this oxford piece of work that had been done as well and so we recently published this just a, a couple of weeks ago um where it's a study comparing uh running economy in three conditions so in um well-trained um uh, endurance runners and looking at uh, three different conditions one is fed carbohydrate alone one is fed carbohydrate plus ketones and the other is fed ketones alone and apart from the the work that i described by the oxford group no one ever really bothers to study this question of ketones alone and um, even as the paper went through the peer review process one of the comments was effectively you know why bother doing this piece of work you know everyone's going to use carbohydrate anyway um, but we thought it was intellectually interesting as a question just to um, to look at this effect on on running economy and, and other metabolic responses um, to exercise under these conditions. And um, as I guess we would have hypothesized based on some of the, the um, theoretical mechanisms, we did see this reduction or this improvement in running economy. So a reduction in the amount of O2 being consumed uh, per work, per, per run, per kilometer per hour of, of running speed um, across uh, the ketone only condition, but not obviously in, in the ketone plus um, uh, carbohydrate when compared to carbohydrate alone. And what was the exercise task there? How long a run and what kind of intensity? Yeah, so we, we had a, an incremental protocol. They ran six-minute stages, and um, they were running at starting off at 10 kilometers per hour, six minutes at 10, a little break to take lactate and, and give them a drink, then six minutes at 11, six minutes at 12, six minutes at 13, six minutes at 14 um, kilometers per hour. So those were all um, uh, stages where they... Um, very few of them actually went above, say, the two millimolar lactate threshold. So um, we're able to then use uh, running economy, um, um, or decide to determine running economy each one of those stages. And again, the uh, the data is quite clear within the paper that you see this improvement in running economy um, in the ketone condition, but not across the other two. So at the moment, uh, that's where, where it's left. What I guess the reason I bring all that up is to say that... Um, you know whether we're you know we didn't make a suggestion in the paper that people should run on ketones alone but just as a, as a question as a kind of an intellectual um, um endeavor in terms of compare because i guess what i'm saying is that the cart is often put before the horse in the sense that people went straight to performance studies um when these when this early performance study came out our group included so i'm, I'm part of the problem in that regard but an awful lot of the basic uh, metabolism um in terms of how ketone supplements might affect things like um uh, run an economy and so on as as alone compared to carbohydrate those studies weren't done and so we've kind of taken a backward step and and uh, started to look at those and just see what will come out of those and uh, that first study anyway is a kind of a interesting finding because the types of the the percentage improvement in run run economy averages around four percent which is again the kind of uh, magnitude that people get very excited about when you know they switch from regular shoes to 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 carbon fiber yeah. so it's um yeah we'll see what happens with all of that yeah, well, that is interesting, and also uh, 
tees up a question for me. Do you think we have discussed the mechanisms enough and can we <laughs> <want the> performance? <laughs> We've talked a lot. Yeah, yeah. Time's ticking on. But um, yeah, so th- I guess we have, I think, from the point of view of, of how things could improve with performance. But, you know, I suppose let's let's just say that I've highlighted a couple of interesting studies where there have been performance benefits. But anyone who would read our review would see that of the, you know, maybe i haven't actually done the count but let's say it's 30 papers that have been done on ketone supplements you know it's only two or three that have actually showed benefits uh the vast majority have showed no effect and uh there's a handful as well that have shown impaired effects on on performance and maybe we can talk about why that might have occurred as well yeah let's get into that um yeah i'm gonna leave it maybe to you to where where do you think what then should we start with that well like from very early on there was uh there was if if you um by the mechanism that uh, ketone bodies um, or you know exogenous ketosis, if if that would uh, impair carbohydrate utilization, then obviously um, it becomes the next question becomes well, if you're talking about performance in a short duration, high intensity effort that's carbohydrate dependent, could that possibly be a mechanism of impairment? And whether it is uh, carbohydrate impairment or whether there are other mechanisms around, for example, um, the acidity that's associated with the ingestion of, of, uh, of ketone bodies or whether it's to do with gastrointestinal distress that can sometimes um, be associated with, with the ingestion of ketone bodies as well. Again, like there were mechanisms why there could be ergogenic effects, there's also proposed mechanisms for so-called ergolytic effects or, or impairment of, of performance. And again, it, it's actually probably more consistent in, in this uh, concept where the studies that have shown uh, negative effects on performance have generally been relatively short duration, so kind of like a half an hour or less, um, and kind of an all-out uh, type time trial or repeated sprint or you know some, something of that nature where... Um, you know, to use a kind of a colloquial for a phrase, you know, heavy glycolytic uh, reliance, um, those tend to be the um, uh, exercise studies that have shown uh, negative effects of, of ketone supplementation. So, um, yeah, and, and that again, that does make sense if we think about the fact that if ketone bodies lower pH, so if they make the, the, the body um, more um, uh, acidic, or if like that, there is this potential to impair um enzymes of glycolysis so you probably spoke with louise when she was talking about how could you know the ketogenic diet impair uh, performance aside from the efficiency question there's also this idea around the um the impairment of of let's say top end efforts that would rely on, on carbohydrate and the prevalent thinking at the moment is that if there is an impairment if there's a mechanism of impairment with uh with with ketone supplement ingestion that is probably to do with that with that a very similar mechanism around impairing glycolytic pathways or or like i said that that effect on ph yeah so what about those the longer exercise tasks uh so you said that only a couple of studies have shown positive effects so have the rest been kind of neutral no uh, no significant difference yeah so again it's it's um when when we say like there's been a lot of studies you know and say we say there's there's 30 studies in in the context of um studies that have used very similar designs so that we can make sort of firm conclusions um to be honest the studies have been kind of all over the map in terms of their their um um you know the way they've been structured the dosing strategies they've used the length the types of athletes used and, and so on and that's probably what we're going to um we'll come back to i'm sure the the question about what does this mean in practice and you know 
having talked about all these things, why are pro athletes still using them? But one of the, uh, to, to go back to the specific question around the, the studies that have been done so far, yet it is, it's, it's hard to say that there's a pattern, um, within, within there in terms of like, you can definitely say that it will not work in a, in a certain scenario with the exception of those short duration type, uh, events that, that I mentioned where there's an impairment. Everything beyond that, in terms of duration, it's very difficult to say whether you know there would be an impairment, whether there be a benefit, a neutral effect, because the the types of studies have been done have been have been so different. You know, to give some examples, you know, we we did one study that was uh, simulated a soccer game. We did another study that uh, was a preload followed by a ten k. You've got the uh, Peter Hespel's group who have done short durations of the kind of half hour type stuff, but then they've done three hours where they've mimicked exercise, but sorry, mimic like a, st- a stage race, but sometimes that's been in hypoxia. Sometimes it's with, with co-ingestion with bicarbonate. You know, we're all, all of us who are working in, in this field are trying to answer questions and get to understand uh, the mechanisms or the, the performance outcomes a little bit better. But because we're all rushing to do different types of studies, we're probably not really settling on kind of consolidated um, designs that would kind of answer these questions. So if you look back at um, the way that a lot of the carbohydrate research was done in the um, 80s and 90s, a lot of the studies were very similar in terms of their design, you know, whether it was preloads or whether it was time trials, you know, a lot of them, because they use similar designs, you could see patterns emerging. Whereas I think at the moment in the ketone research, even though we have got a good number of studies so far, a lot of them you know, are quite mixed in their design. They use, again, the other thing is that they use a lot of different supplements. You know, prior to, you know, relatively recently, a lot of people were still using ketone salts, medium chain triglycerides, butane diol. Um, whereas I guess I would say that in the last couple of years, pretty much all the studies now are being done using these uh, ketone esters because they're just more widely available. And and if we focus on this period with the more recent protocols, then how how does it actually work? What what is a typical ketone loading protocol? Oh yeah, in, yeah, good yeah. question. And um, yeah, again, it was uh, it was who who got there first, and everyone kind of followed. So the original design that the um, the group at Oxford used in in that paper in Cell Metabolism in two thousand and sixteen, they went with a kind of a, a a larger dose at the start, just prior to exercise, and then a kind of a top up dose. Uh, during exercise and so most studies when exercise have been anything longer than say an hour uh, or so they've generally used multiple dosing strategies so something like a an initial kind of 50 percent of the dose and then like 25 and 25 later on in exercise um studies that are shorter tend to do single dose right before exercise and then uh, follow the participants afterwards but if we focus on the, the ketone esters, because they they elevate ketone concentrations rather quickly within you know fifteen to twenty minutes, it tends to be a, a bolus uh, ingested, usually based on per kg of, of body mass. It usually works out at again just because a lot of the participants are, are fairly similar um, in size. It usually works out at something like twenty to twenty five grams of ketone um, uh, ester. Uh, sorry we need to be just careful on this. So the ketone esters come as a liquid. So you've got a milliliter value and then you've got a gram value of, of ketones because we've done it at a certain concentration. So I'm just going to use gram values here uh, rather than I'm not talking about milliliters depending on which which brand you're using. But usually it's, worth, it's something like 20 to 25 grams, maybe up to 30 grams as, as a dose at the start of exercise and then maybe an hour, uh, 45 minutes to an hour later, another dose tends to be taken. But if you if you speak to uh, some of the manufacturers, um, one of them recently made a, a good point to me, which is that you know with with carbohydrate um, dosing strategies, we tend to kind of 
drink in small boluses consistently throughout um, exercise. And so that we've kind of got this constant supply, whereas with ketones, we're kind of giving a large dose, and then it's drifting back down and then another large dose and it drifts back down. So maybe there might be something in the idea of having it more like a, you know, smaller doses continually throughout exercise rather than kind of this up and down sawtooth effect of, of multiple dosing. But like that, uh, you know, to, to summarize uh, and to answer your question directly, generally it's around 20 to 25 grams that's taken 20 minutes before exercise and then continues on um, maybe once every hour there's a, there's a top up dose. What that looks like in, in practice in, in the, um, you know, if they say, for example, the Tour de France athletes are using it, I don't actually know what protocols they're using if they're using it during exercise. But again, there might be some debate as to whether they're using it for performance or if they're using it for recovery and sleep because there have been some promising studies in, in that regard as well. Yeah, what I, what I heard uh, was that uh, the ones that use it use it more for the recovery and sleep and but I, I did actually what one of the things that prompted me to to discuss this topic in a uh, in a dedicated interview with uh, with you was having interviewed uh, James Moran who was the head nutritionist of the you know X cycling team and yeah. he I asked him about ketones and he said that they they don't use it at all because he just doesn't believe the evidence is strong enough so uh, so I thought that it was worth it to just have a have a dedicated discussion about about this but uh, yeah, if we discuss that the potential for uh, a recovery or sleep benefit, what uh, what what is the evidence for that? Yeah, so like th- this is the funny thing is that um, when when we wrote that review in two thousand and seventeen, and we and looked at at the evidence that was there, and again, some of it was circumstantial and mechanistic, but we actually proposed at that time that we thought that recovery would be where there would be quite a bit of, of traction. Um, for again reasons we, we we might get into, but there are a lot to do with the potential to support uh, glycogen resynthesis, potential to um, be anabolic in the in the post exercise period by stimulating muscle protein synthesis. There are a number of different again mechanistic studies that have been done in the uh, in the seventies, eighties, nineties that supported that way of thinking. But as it happens, if you look at the number of studies that have been done, there's, again, only a small handful that have actually um, looked at recovery. And there has been been some promise there. So um, in particular, the one that gets an awful lot of attention, of course, was the study from Peter Hespel's group that looked at the ingestion of um, ketone, um, exogenous ketone supplements, again, the ketone ester in this case, um, across a three-week overtraining, let's call it. So basically training twice a day, um, with a little bit of rest, uh, but trained twice a day most of the time for, for three weeks. And what they showed was that the um, the symptoms of, of overreaching were blunted in, in effect. And there were some suggestions of, of, uh, of performance benefits across some of the training sessions um, that, that were done within, within that. And I suppose the reason that that's worth making the point there is that even though that particular study looked at um, recreationally active individuals, the thinking was that it's the kind of um, insult to the body that might be similar to a grand tour, for example, you know, someone racing day after day after day over over three weeks. Again, whether that is the case, my view is, again, having worked in, in sport and, and, and worked with elite athletes is that, you know, a lot of teams or a lot of uh, professional organizations or their athletes will take a chance on something if they think there, it could be a benefit to them. And in this case, regardless of price, because they've got the resources uh, to deal with it. And obviously, it's no secret that several of the uh, pro cycling teams um, do have partnerships with uh, ketone, um, exogenous ketone supplement uh, companies. So whether it's uh, you know that particular uh, study, that recovery study that that they did a few years ago, or whether it's the more re- more recent work, um, 
you have kind of got two, I suppose, big findings um, since since we published our 2022 review. One was, again, from Peter's group, uh, showing benefits to sleep um, in terms of improved quality of sleep um, when ketone esters were taken uh, close to bedtime. And um, another one where, well, actually, two kind of separate observations but related to each other. One was the group out of Bath, uh, James Betts and Javier Gonzalez, showing that there was an uh, increase in uh, EPO in the post-exercise period when ketones were, were consumed in the, in the post-exercise period. And uh, then Peter's group went, uh, Peter Hespel's group went back to their uh, samples from the um, from that three-week trend study and were able to observe an increase in angiogenesis in the ketone group that wasn't observed in the, um, the carbohydrate or the control group in, in that case. So there's kind of this idea that um, there's a kind of coalescing of, of uh, studies around this idea that ketones could be beneficial to recovery either in terms of you know really severe uh, training or or, or um, insult like a, like a tour race um, or could benefit um, sleep acutely or could augment the the adaptive response to training and again in general there's all fairly plausible mechanisms as, as to why that might be the case again going back to the point i made earlier which is that ketone bodies are as i said relatively um impactful molecules when it comes to whole body metabolism so um it's you know in some ways it's not surprising uh, and although again it's only a small number of studies all of those tend to point in the same direction whereas in the case of the performance research you know it's kind of all over the map contradictory findings and, and so on so i do think that um i'm not surprised for you to say that you've heard you know that perhaps there's something happening on the on the on the recovery side, um, but I would agree with James when you say if a, if someone said to me should a ketone um, um, exogenous ketone supplement be used for performance, it's very difficult to see how it can have a direct performance benefit at this moment in time. Whereas the recovery side of things, yeah, perhaps there's something there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with that uh, three week or reaching type study that you described, there was the intensity quite high in in most of the sessions or what was it what was the training like yeah so it was a mix actually um they had um if i'm not mistaken um testing my memory here but there was certainly um long kind of steady rides and there were also hit interval sessions and i feel like there was a third type of session that was done as well but um but it was uh, on most days they were training twice per day um Mm. so it was actually a very very a very large volume of training over over the course of of the three weeks yeah and and what did you say that what was uh, yeah i'm just curious about this one a little bit if and uh, yeah sorry for challenging your memory but if you remember what were the kind of the outcome measures specifically that they that they looked into i'm just wondering if there was something like if they looked at things like glycogen resynthesis and things like that yeah so okay so it, it actually there's um it's a really interesting study because something kind of peculiar happens uh, over the course of three weeks in that uh, even though ketone bodies are sometimes proposed to be appetite suppressing, uh, it turns out that the ketone group in that particular study began to eat more over the course of the study. So by the end of the uh, three weeks, and I, the pattern is not there in the first week, and I can't remember if it was in the second, but certainly by the third week, um, they're eating about 15% more energy uh, in the form of carbohydrate. I think 50. I shouldn't probably say the exact number because I could be wrong. But anyway, it's something of that of that magnitude. They're eating more carbohydrate and more energy compared to the control group. So what's often used as a criticism of, of that paper is that they say, well, the ketone um, uh, supplement didn't do anything. It was the fact that they ate more. And, you know, as a, if you're talking purely in scientific terms, yes, you would want to know what the effect was. But if you're speaking from a practitioner or a pragmatic point of view, you would say, well, 
I don't know what the mechanism was, but certainly the ketone group seemed to have had a benefit and it has had an effect on, on their appetite. And maybe maybe increasing their appetite is actually a good thing in, in a context of where someone is, you know, subjected to that type of training. So that, that's kind of an aside, but uh, to answer your question about, about the uh, the numbers themselves, so they, they were looking at things like uh, heart rate, uh, resting heart rate. They were looking at uh, things like GDF15, some of these markers that are used in, in the blood. Um, they were looking at uh, then performance outcomes. So, so essentially, they did these um, time trials at different parts of the uh, training intervention and also did they looked at the volume of training that was completed in, in the final week as well. So there are a number of different, and not, not, don't get me wrong, not everything was affected in, in, the, uh, in the ketone group, but the majority of things were pointing in the right direction um, during that, uh, that three-week period. Mm, yeah, well, that, that's very interesting about the, the appetite effect. And yeah, I would certainly agree with your, your take there about the criticism from the scientific point of view, but also the, uh, from the practitioner's point of view, yeah. the potential benefit uh, from it. Uh, yeah, and I was just thinking, like, kind of relating it to, I know there was some work with co-ingestion of protein and carbohydrate done and how at least if you... If you're consuming a bit less than an optimal dose of carbohydrate, protein uh, adding protein can help with glycogen resynthesis. And I was wondering if there might be a similar effect with with the ketones that they, they just help, especially if you're below what would be an optimal amount of carbohydrates. Yeah, but so I guess that, yeah, that's a great question. So um, just just to, to expand a little bit on that, um, you know the the um, studies as you are alluding to there in terms of the if you're looking at optimal glycogen resynthesis, you can achieve it with just carbohydrate alone if you can essentially get enough carbohydrate on board. But as you say, once it becomes difficult to get all of that carbohydrate on board, supplementing with protein can can be useful. Um, the way we tend to look at it then from a from a practitioner point of view though is that you know it's oftentimes you're not uh, trying to maximize muscle glycogen resynthesis and in fact a small amount of protein or a decent amount of protein I should say uh, will be useful in a lot of sports where you're trying to recover from um, say damaging exercise for example or whether you're trying to promote an anabolic response in the case of, of resistance exercise training so the kind of protein carbohydrate combination has become i would say more standard than trying to really maximize you know the amount of, of carbohydrate but to your point then about can ketones do the same thing so that was actually a piece of work that uh, that was done and again it's a as i say conflicting again here so there was an original study done um from the oxford group that looked at glycogen resynthesis um, under what we call clamp conditions. So it's an experiment where you infuse, you, essentially the person is, they do their exercise, they deplete glycogen, then they lie in a bed and they're infused then um, nutrients and you measure the amount of of, um, of glycogen resynthesis in this case. There's lots of things you can do with the clamp uh, process, but this one, um, it fixes glucose at a certain concentration. You infuse that glucose and combined with, in this case, ketones, there was a benefit in terms of glycogen resynthesis rates. But so that was one kind of like you'd call that like a clinical lab study. But then again, Peter's group in in, in Belgium they did a, a study where they fed uh, carbohydrate protein plus ketones uh, versus protein carbohydrate um, alone, and they didn't see any uh, uh, augmentation of the um, um, the glycogen resynthesis in that particular study. But when they looked at markers of uh, anabolic response, both in the um, muscle biopsies but also in, in cell culture, when they manipulated the cell culture conditions to be something similar, they did see this augmentation of the of anabolic signaling. So again, it kind of and, and that makes sense because um, like I mentioned earlier, there are some studies 
back in the um, back again in the in the 1980s that showed that uh, ketones when they're infused can actually cause an anabolic response, a so-called increase in muscle protein synthesis. So again, uh, y- your question about glycogen, it's quite unresolved at this moment in time. But in terms of is there an anabolic response? Again, it's one of the reasons why we proposed uh, a few years ago that there might be an, uh, you know, a, a novel angle within recovery research is because of this potential for, for an anabolic or anti-catabolic effect. And so, again, I think that's where some of the research is going to go just based on, on the studies that have come out. This idea of ketones in the post-exercise recovery period, I think, is, is where things might head. That's interesting. Um, other than the potential uh, ergolytic effects that we discussed already are there any other risks or potential adverse effects that we should discuss uh, for example things like uh, gi distress uh, or and and similar similar potential effects that uh, if they have been investigated yeah, the, the GI effects are, are interesting because um, initially we 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 our first study that we did with ketone uh, with the ketone ester the ketone monoester um, we saw really negative effects uh, on GI um, distress and and we wondered uh, why that was the case and we still don't have a great answer um, for that but we've done a couple of studies since and yeah maybe there's a slightly uh, worse uh, GI symptoms compared to say carbohydrate alone but. Nothing that I would, you know, when I when we initially did the study, I was thinking to myself, there's no way this could possibly work because of the, the symptoms are so severe. But in more recent studies, that hasn't been the case. So I don't know if something has changed about the way the esters are being produced or, you know, whether we gave a fairly high dose in that first study and maybe it's a dose response uh, type of thing. But again, the, the in, so in our hands, the you know, the evidence on the GI side of things are, are quite mixed. And then it's similar in, in, in other research, you will see people show that there's, you know pretty severe gi upset and then again others show nothing at all so that's a that's a tricky one as well i think that might be one of those things that on a person by person basis um if you take a ketone supplement and you get a negative gi response that might be you might try it a couple of times more and if if it doesn't work out it's probably something not for you but personally speaking so i've tried these um esters obviously as i said at the start of the uh at the conversation, I tend to be my own guinea pig, and I don't actually get any GI upset at all with with taking them. So, yeah, I'm not really sure why in early studies there were um, so many problems, and nowadays it doesn't seem to be as many. Mm, interesting. Is there anything else other than uh, GI potential GI risks that in terms of risks or adverse effects? No, nothing, nothing extra that comes to mind right now. No yeah. risk to your pocket. That's about it. Sorry, risk. risk to your pocket the cost of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and obviously, when, with any supplement, you have to consider contamination issues with for, um, yeah, uh, anti-doping considerations. Yeah, of, course, of course, but although I think in this case, in the fairness to the the companies that are selling the ketone ester, uh, in particular, um, they're aware that the target market is the athlete market, you know, and so they're as far as I know, um, the two major companies that are selling the the ketone esters at the moment. They're both um, covered by informed sports or they're you know clear of prohibited mm. substances. Yeah. Excellent, yeah. So with with all this, all that we know and and all that we do, we don't know that we have discussed, what would you see? What is the future direction that you would like to see research going in? And perhaps your uh, you and your uh, colleagues are already working on on some of that. Yeah. So we're at the moment we're sticking uh, in the uh, domain of during exercise. So we've uh, a couple of studies that are on at the moment, um, kind of trying to build on this uh, run economy observation um, that we saw. So, um, you know, if you extend that that out logically, so if you're seeing, 
improvements in running economy at um, you know relatively low running speeds. Let's be honest, um, but um, but being and those be, those only apparent when carbohydrates aren't being consumed, it does beg the question as to what type of exercise challenge would that be relevant? And our thinking at the moment is that will be something like ultra endurance type um you know events and, and and longer distances so we at the moment are running a study where we're having people run for three hours um with uh, either consuming carbohydrate or consuming exogenous ketones alone and we're looking to see whether that running economy effect is is observed you know is, is um is seen again and then also whether you know what what the effects in terms of long-term exercises uh, in terms of fuel utilization, gastrointestinal upset, heart rate, the, the rating of perceived exertion, all of the things that um, that we that you know typically are done in these in these types of studies. Uh, it's not a performance study; it's it's a you know it's a descriptive study of the kind of three hour duration. But we're interested to see what happens when you extend it out. Um, and in particular, it's a, again it's a running uh, trial, so um, that is one difference. I think that maybe I, I should have mentioned when I said about the gastrointestinal upset. People do tend to be more likely to get GI upset. Uh, during running than than during cycling and many of the studies that are done are done during cycling and we happen to just do all of ours um you know in, in running so that might be something there um and um yeah so so that's i suppose that where we would focus on and if, if we begin to see something then you know a bit of a, a signal let's say in terms of running economy we may we may then try and extend that out to do something in the in the ultra uh distance in terms of performance test again the the guys in in belgium peter espel's group just published a, a paper earlier this year uh, with ketone esters being used in an ultra endurance race um, and it was in it was in the field it was a re- it was a real it was a live race so they couldn't really use the performance data um, as, a, as an outcome measure because it was a so-called parallel um, group design but they were able to show some interesting stuff around cognitive function and some of the other metabolic responses to exercise so perhaps they're also thinking about you know this longer duration um, uh, idea but then, yeah, as as we've kind of talked about in mostly positive terms, the the recovery side of things, I think, is is going to be really interesting. And um, certainly, um, whether these effects with the uh, the EPO response can be um, can be reproduced, whether some of the beneficial effects, whether it's on sleep or recovery, you know, are, are replicated by by other research groups, or again, once you do that and then you begin to optimize protocols, that could be where where something goes. But I, w- I would be surprised if there's something in the in the um, performance during exercise space in anything less than you know relatively long durations. I think it's it's hard to imagine that that, that will be just on on the fact of of the data we have to hand. Mm. Yeah, and, and that was going to be my my next question actually. If you think there is a gap between practice and research, like for example that ultra endurance space and and for us triathletes that's that's where a lot of us kind of spend our our racing racing days in that kind of half to full ironman uh, <laughs> space which can be anything from three and a half hours if you're really really fast or the half distance to 17 hours for uh the people that are taking a bit longer over the full ironman so so that's a long long day out um yeah i guess i guess the jury is still out on that so there's not much else to to comment on or do you have any other comments yeah no i suppose the the thing that um always is at the back of my head sometimes is is um when when it's talked about like because i I, again i speak to some of the um the people who are involved in the companies around the, the ketone supplements and you know they're obviously talking with athletes all the time and a huge amount of positive anecdotes uh come back to me um i suppose you have to you know they're coming from maybe the 
through the companies themselves and they're always going to be positive in, in that way but there does seem to be a lot of positivity around uh, these ketone supplements and you know there and and these obviously the these uh, pro cycling teams and they're not um you know they're being open about the fact that they're partnering with some of these uh, companies so sometimes I, I am sitting here wondering like is there something we're missing in in the research and the most obvious explanation i, I often give is that more often than not in research, we're not studying elite athletes. And, you know, we're not studying the absolute top level in terms of um, metabolism. Well, what I mean by that is, you know, the fitter that people get uh, and the more um, better mitochondrial function, greater uh, type 1 muscle fiber and so on, there's, again, circumstantial evidence that they will be better utilizers of, of ketones. And I sometimes wonder, maybe we're just not studying the elite athlete, and that's why elite athletes are positive about them in, in practice, but we don't see anything in, in, uh, in, the, in the lab. So that's a kind of a, you know, a, a, just an open-ended question. I, I don't know for sure, but the, all, the other answer could just be they don't use them performance and they just use them for recovery. And yeah, that could just could be as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess uh, not, not to be negative about it, but the companies, when they are talking to athletes, a lot of the athletes they talk to are probably athletes that they do sponsor at least provide yeah. free product to and then that is going to bias the their feedback that they get from the athletes probably especially if they are getting getting paid they're probably going to be more likely to to give positive feedback because then they can get another contract so oh, no, which, I, fully, I fully agree yeah that, that's that's the nature of the industry so again you have to have uh you have to have your skeptical hat on and all in all in all domains um but just on the your point about you know the kind of the uh, triathlete and the you know the, the really good triathlete versus you know the longer well the not not so good triathlete let's call it in terms of times like it, it does it does sometimes come down to just the practical question about like um are we talking about really optimal performance here as in the you know trying to do the best time ever versus trying to just uh complete the race and the types of fueling strategies that might be undertaken you know, the example I always give is if someone gets an upset stomach or if they have a really bad GI episode, that could happen just as easily with carbohydrate based on they chose the wrong food or a fibrous snack or, you know, they had some issue with FODMAPs. You know, there's lots of different reasons why you can have upset as well with, with carbohydrates. So maybe there will be some people who think, well, I'm going to try, for example, the ketogenic diet or I'm going to try ketone supplements as an alternative fuel. And okay, I might not achieve my very, very best time, but I'm going to be more comfortable when I when I perform my my uh, my race. And again, so that could come into it as well. You know, it's not always about the elite level performer. It's about you know yeah. other other yeah. performers as well. Yeah, it, it is interesting though. I just remembered as well the kind of a parallel to the whole uh, nitrate supplementation. Mm. And and there, I guess you'll know better. But but I think the trend has been that there seems to be an effect for um trained athletes up to trained athletes or recreational athletes but when you get get to well trained or very well trained and elite athletes then the effects start to really diminish or or not really be there uh that's that's my understanding uh of the evidence it's been a while since i looked into it no, to you're totally right you're perfectly right Chad. that is the evidence and that that's a really interesting finding in its own right and that that's in our mind as well when we're thinking about this so pretty much every study that we've done when we've just looked at the data, again, we, we don't include this in, in the papers because we don't have the large enough end sizes, but we will generally look and see, are the people that are showing any kind of positive response, you know, are they the most fit? And there, so far in our hands, there hasn't really been a, a same picture as you would see there with uh, with nitrate. So it's a different relationship. In, the, in theory, as you say, with, with nitrate, the benefits are in the least fit. 
in ketones, again, theoretically, the benefits would be in the most fit. And that's, uh, so it's a, it's a different direction of relationship, but there is, there, you know, in theory, there might be something in that. Yeah. Mm, good point. Yeah. But is that, so I, just to follow up on that, so there, there is, is there any other, um, evidence than the anecdotal feedback from, from athletes that, that the that the, the effects might be the biggest in the very well trained or elite athletes. No, I haven't come across anything that would that would okay. support that. No, yeah, no, speculation yeah. stage. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I yeah, two questions in one here. First, if you give a summary of your kind of personal recommendation based on both the science and the practical uh, aspects of it as a practitioner and the scientist, what what do you think that listeners of this episode? is it worth it to give it a try and and secondly if if it's worth it to give it a try how how does somebody figure out what is a good way to go about it like let's say i i have two i actually do have i've never tried them but i have two bottles sitting here in my cabinet somewhere <laughs> so so if i want to give a to trial some ketones uh, exogenous ketones how should i design an experiment to see if they kind of work for me and how they work for me yeah, look, it's a great question. The um, the first point, I think, to summary is that uh, the type of ketone supplement really matters. Um, so um, we the working hypothesis at the moment is that ketone concentrations need to get above one millimolar. Let's just use it as, as the working hypothesis. And in that regard, it's almost certain that if you're going to do uh, that for a sustained period of time during exercise or post-exercise, more than likely it would have to be a ketone ester. Um, so that becomes the next consideration in practice, which is that that's very expensive. Um, and so people would need to keep both those facts in mind if, if they're thinking about using them. The uh, likelihood that they benefit performance seems to be fairly uh, slim to me. And by that, I mean, you know, performance in race, let's say you consume them and you get a benefit because it's, you know, benefit over carbohydrate or benefit over caffeine or over nitrate. You know, there, there are lots of things that are proposed to work um, that at the moment, even if they have, you know, kind of mixed evidence, they probably have better evidence than than ketones um, for, for performance. However, uh, in, if someone wanted to trial that, of course, you know, if, if there are um, segments of, of a terrain or of a race or of a road that people know what their performance is like, it's fairly easy to just try a, a scenario where you prepare similarly across two consecutive weeks, for example, in terms of training load and nutrition, and you just try out your like a time trial type performance. But bear in mind that my point is that, you know, over short duration type activities, they're unlikely to have a benefit anyway. So then you're, now you're talking about trying to simulate something that's a much longer uh, ride. Um, so that becomes difficult from a performance point of view. So that brings us to the the recovery side, and um, again, I suppose this is this is somewhat um, it becomes difficult to measure because it's things like can you um, perceive your sleep to be better? Um, can you perceive your recovery the next day to be better? Um, can you take on a block of training over a week or two weeks? that's more intensive and feel that you uh, perform better uh, recover better coming out of, of that um, particular period. They'd be the ways of looking at it from the kind of recovery uh, point of view, but they're, you know, they're difficult experiments to do as an N of one, because uh, when you extend it out over, over a period of time, you know, you're getting fitter, there's other elements of lifestyle coming in there. It becomes kind of tricky. And like I said, it's a very expensive experiment to do to find out whether it works or not. So, it's a little bit, um, I suppose, um, I'm striking um, on, a, on a practical note and striking maybe a slightly negative tone because it is a very difficult um, thing to commit to doing if, you know, the evidence is, is kind of mixed and you're not convinced and if budget is, is limited. So, yeah, there's some, uh, hopefully, 
uh, there's some practical things that people can can take away there. Yeah, no, I think that that's a good, uh, a great answer. Uh, is there anything that we uh, that we haven't discussed about this that we should uh, should cover still? No, I think we've touched on a lot. Yeah, I feel like I've been talking very quickly, but uh, hopefully, hopefully the message got there. <laughs> I think so. Yes, and uh, and if not, there's still there's your re- your review, which is open access. So I'll link to that in the show notes, so mm-hmm. people can go have a look. Yeah, I'll I'll mention something a funny funny anecdote before reading the paper. I I I ran it through Chat GPT to ask it to summarize it for me in, in like a, something I could read in five minutes because it was a very long review, yeah, uh, un, unusually long. <laughs> and and actually the conclusion uh, that uh, that it gave me was basically the complete opposite of what you wrote in the first sentence of the actual conclusion part of the paper. So it's, <laughs> it struck a very positive tone about. Uh, about uh, exogenous <laughs> ketones, which which I thought was quite funny because I've heard a lot of people um, say that it's a great use case of of the <laughs> artificial intelligence to summarize papers for them. But my my first experience here was was not so okay, great. Okay, that's great. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right, but uh, then let's move into the rapid fire questions. Uh, the first one is: What's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports or sports in general? Yeah, I, uh, to be honest, uh, without uh, not going to compliment you uh, just for the sake of it, but uh, these I, I'm amazed at how good uh, podcasts are now in this domain. Um, once someone is coming from a background of even an undergraduate degree in, in sports science, uh, the uh, podcasts seem to be the best place uh, to be able to pick up the kind of more advanced knowledge and that blend of, of practice and uh, and theory. So, uh, yeah, any uh, there are a number of them. I won't name check them because it could be your competition. But uh, we'll say that your one is one of the best, uh, certainly in terms of, of that. Oh, you, you pick pick one other. That's 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 fun, and I don't really see it as competition. Okay. So. <laughs> I listen to the guys at uh, Fast Talk Labs. I like I like their stuff. Mm. Yeah, good. and uh, nice. Yeah, I mean they're, they're the ones in endurance sport. But of course, there's lots of other in nutrition and so on. And it's a it's a great time if you have um, if you have got the basic knowledge. It's actually a great time to be uh, to be in the area of science because there's so much information out there. Yeah. And what's an important habit that you have benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? You know, I actually think that <laughs> there's one that cuts across all three, which is that I, 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 it's the habit I didn't develop, which is that I'd never joined social media. So um, I have uh, a lot of, uh, I think I have a lot more free time <laughs> and a lot more focus than, uh, than other people. And that, uh, I think that's been useful athletically, professionally, personally as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's a very, Good and interesting answer in this day and age. And uh, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Yeah, look, uh, it's probably a bit of a cliche answer, but uh, my father, who is not in any ways uh, involved in science, uh, he was a plastics manufacturer, but uh, he was uh, self-made in, in a time in Ireland when the uh, you know the economy was really bad in the 1980s. And he touched uh, a lot of lives uh, positively, which is, again, a good thing, I think, for, for people to uh, to aspire to. But uh, just uh, last weekend as well, he won the national championships in, uh, in the over 70s category in uh, 100 meter sprint long jump and high jump so uh he's uh that's why i i'm more of a of a, of a team sport athlete and a sprint athlete not a, not an endurance athlete but that's mm, yeah excellent excellent all right uh well thank you so much uh brendan i won't link to your social media because you don't have it <laughs> but i'll link to your review and your uh research gate page so people can check out your your work and looking that's forward to following the future future work that you publish as well that's great michael it was a real pleasure really enjoyable 
I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. And uh, remember that uh, the paper, the review paper that we discussed is open access. It's called Exogenous Ketone Supplements in Athletic Contexts, Past, Present and Future. And uh, that will be linked to in the show notes. Next Monday, I interview uh, Dr. Kerry McGauley, who is a British researcher working uh, in Sweden and has done a lot of interesting research. Among other topics, we'll talk about uh, the female athlete and research she's done in that area. But we'll also talk about her training because Kerry is a really, really good triathlete in her own right. She recently won her age group at the 73 World Championships and she also earlier this year won the World Triathlon Long Distance Champs and uh, the British Triathlon Mid-Distance Championships in her age group. So we will discuss her training and how her academic background is influencing her training and and maybe how it's not influencing her training. I guess we will see. Uh, I also want to remind you that uh, we have the Mallorca training camp coming up in April 2024 and registration is open. Uh, I'm just going to list uh, a few reasons that you might want to consider joining. So reason number one is that the cycling in Mallorca is amazing. Two, it's super fun and beneficial to your fitness level to train basically full-time for a week and uh, just get to focus on training, eating, sleeping, and relaxing. Uh, Three, the social aspects of a camp like this uh, are amazing. Our camp is quite unique in that there's not a lot of camps that get people from so many different corners of the world uh, to the same place to train together and socialize together around meals and so on. And four, if you're self-coached, the opportunity to chat with and learn from professional coaches is very valuable. And five, the hotel that we're staying at is super nice to relax at by the pool or in the spa or on the terraces after a great day of training. Uh, the afternoon pasta buffet, which is free, is great after a long day of training. And then the food in the normal buffets for breakfast and dinner that we're having is also really, really amazing. If you're interested, check out the webpage for the camp on scientifictriathlon.com and follow the instructions there to register or email me directly on michael at scientifictriathlon.com. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel Hydration, that you can find on Precision fuelandhydration.com if you're looking for electrolytes and fueling products i would highly recommend trying them out you can use their free fuel and hydration planner or even a free video consultation with the team to prepare your race strategy and don't forget to take 15 percent off your first order with the code tts23 and thank you to form that you can find on forswim.com for slash tts improve your swim training with real-time metrics like pace stroke rate and heart rate and advanced post swim analysis and use the code tts15 to get 15 percent off the form smart swim goggles Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.